Friends, this popular psalm that we're about to hear is a beautiful expression of the idea that we are all created by God, not en masse, produced in some sort of cosmic factory, mass-produced, but rather individually, lovingly, with the care of a passionate artisan. It's a reminder that we are all, each and every one, beloved in the eyes of God, a fitting exhortation on this Pride Sunday. If you listen closely, it also differentiates between what is on the inside and what is on the outside, our interior and exterior self. And living with integrity means aligning those things as closely as possible to express who we are on the inside, on the outside, to be true to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them yet as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me everlasting and ever-loving God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you and your creation, and may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. When you're a kid, you make up all kinds of ridiculous things to impress your friends, right? Your cousin is some big shot celebrity. This one time your dad beat up Mike Tyson. You have superpowers, but you can't show them off without tipping off the CIA, and you don't want to spend the rest of your life in a government lab. When you're a kid in the 80s, there was one particular boast that got thrown around with some regularity. It was simple enough to be believable, but ubiquitous enough to beggar belief. My uncle works for Nintendo. <laughs> Everyone, it seems, had an uncle that worked for Nintendo. You see, back in the 80s, boys like me, it was pretty much boys back then, used to congregate in schoolyards and at bus stops and talk about Nintendo games. We'd pour over the articles in Nintendo Power magazine, swap cheat codes, brag about solving the ninth labyrinth in The Legend of Zelda, and lament the difficulty of knocking out Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's punch-out, which incidentally is what little Johnny meant when he said that his dad beat up Mike Tyson. So technically, it's true. Inevitably, in an effort to claim bragging rights, one of these kids would make up something about one of these popular video games. They'd claim that they'd discovered some hidden level or a secret ending. And whenever this 
boast was called into question, the kid would say, well, my uncle works for Nintendo, so. That was that. This so-called uncle had access to proprietary information, corporate secrets that he regularly shared with his nephew despite signing an NDA. It was a claim to a higher authority that really couldn't be disproven. Well, if he's got an uncle that works for Nintendo, I guess he knows what he's talking about. Nowadays, kids still, still tell tall tales, but if my kids' friends are any indication, it seems like the lies have become even more extravagant and absurd. My son Levi has a friend that told him that his uncle is Justin Fields, star quarterback for the Chicago Bears. There's that uncle again. I suppose that's possible, but this kid also said that Justin Fields came to his house and he watched Fields kick a football into outer space. <laughs> it's true, my son insists. NASA found the football floating around out there. Look it up. I told him I wasn't going to look it up, that I didn't need to look it up. But he pestered me until I found myself asking Google, is it possible to kick a football beyond the stratosphere? Which made me feel rather foolish. I don't understand why some people feel the need to make stuff up just to impress other folks. And let's face it, it's not just kids. At one time or another, I think we've all pretended to be something that we're not in an effort to fit in instead of just being proud of who we are. I've struggled with that too. You see, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not really your ordinary man of the cloth. As a younger man, I really worried that I wouldn't fit in at a church. I worried that my theology was too unorthodox, that my sense of fashion was too weird, my sense of humor too dark, that my hair was too long. I was afraid that people would see my, my cowboy boots and my Hawaiian shirt and my suit that I got at Goodwill and my leather trench coat and my tinted glasses evoking some unholy hybrid of a used car salesman from the 1970s <laughs> and a hitman, also from the 1970s, and think that I had no business standing in a pulpit. I tried for a little while, you know, to put on an act. I got a haircut, got some fashionable spectacles and a real suit. But you know, I had a mentor early on who gave me some valuable advice about the ministry after I expressed these concerns. If you can't be who you are, she said, then you're doing it wrong. And I suppose that's good advice for everyone, really. You've got to live your own truth. Of course, it's important to distinguish between what is universally true facts, and what is true for you. The earth is round, that's a fact. You can disagree with it, but you'd be wrong. You can't kick a football into the sun, that's a fact. But whether a person is vegetarian or omnivorous, Christian or atheist, homosexual or heterosexual, male or female or something in between, well, that's for everyone to decide, every individual. And that last one may trip some folks up because biological sex isn't really a matter of opinion. I understand that. But gender identity is more fluid 
It's a social construct, much like fashion. Gender is part of who we are on the inside, a facet of the soul expressed on the outside. It's not an objective truth. It's your truth, yours to decide. No one else can do it for you, no more than they can dictate your taste in music. But imagine what it would be like if they could. Flip the script for a minute as a little thought experiment, especially if you're a, a straight cisgender person. You're living in a world, in another universe, where being straight and cis is taboo. And the social norms and powers that be demand, let's say you're a straight guy, like me, they demand that you dress like a woman and date other men. You have to hide your attraction from the opposite sex because it's forbidden. Sinful. They call you an abomination. You can't change who you really are, and you don't want to, but you can't really be who you are either. Feels pretty awful, right? I imagine that's what it's like for queer and trans folks that have had to live someone else's truth, sometimes for decades. They've had to live a lie to be something they're not to accommodate cultural norms, and that is no way to live. Which is why, as Carolyn pointed out, so many of these folks give up on life altogether. A few months ago, some people from this church and other communities helped to organize our first Trans Day of Visibility worship celebration. We heard testimonies from different people, and one of them really stood out to me. It was from an older trans woman who was born a man and lived that way for 60-odd years, despite feeling wrong in her own skin. She married a woman, had kids, and lived life beneath this facade. And it wasn't until she was in her 60s that she finally owned her truth and transitioned, and she has never been happier. This was the first time that she had spoken about it publicly, and I was so moved by this story of liberation. Look, it's easy for me to stand up here and say that you gotta live your own truth. But I haven't had to endure the kind of stigma that LGBTQIA people face. And friends, we are living in a particularly bad moments for these folks. Despite all the progress that's been made over the last 20 years, it's beginning to feel like that stone is rolling back down the hill. There are well-funded, well-organized, dedicated movements aimed at marginalizing people that have only just begun to escape the margins. Everything from book bans, attacks on gender-affirming care, laws about what can or can't be discussed in school, and of course, hateful rhetoric are the order of the day. Anything, anything, that even casually features a gay couple is considered woke and accused of having an agenda. Well, yeah, I guess there is an agenda to normalize love instead of hate. God forbid. And a lot of this is done in God's name. Jesus, sadly, becomes the poster child for regressive intolerance instead of love, which is, incidentally is also driving people away from the wider church in droves. And being something of a theologian myself, albeit an unorthodox one, I have a few things to say about that. 
For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. These words from the psalm are a poignant reminder that we are all, each of us, each and every one, a part of God's creation. Now, some will read these words, this psalm, and argue, see, God made you the way you are, the way you were born, and you shouldn't mess with it. You shouldn't try to change it. God knit you together in your mother's womb. God made you a woman, so who are you to claim that deep down you're really a man? God intended you to bear children, so who are you to fall in love with someone from the same gender? But you know, I read it differently. Put all my cards on the table. I've always been a devotee of platonic dualism. Not everyone is, that's okay. But I believe that body and soul, while inextricably intertwined in this life, are two distinct materials. To quote George Harrison of the Beatles, we are not these bodies, just souls having a bodily experience. The scripture seems to support that idea, differentiating between what has been forged in the womb and our inward parts. Now, the original Hebrew there is kiliah, sometimes defined as mind or soul or the seat of emotion and affection, kiliah. It can also be translated as kidneys, <laughs> which would really throw my whole exegesis down the drain, but I'm going to go with the seat of emotion and affection. It is, I believe, the part of us that's made in God's image, who we are on the inside, the soul expressed on the outside. It's the source of our love, our affections, our identity. And as for the body, well, it's a tired cliche, but it's a little bit like driving a car. And I personally believe that we're free to modify it however we'd like to better express the personality of the driver. I find nothing sinful in this. The clothes we wear, the names we choose, the people we love, the bodies we inhabit, these are all outward expressions of the deeper self, the kilyah, that God wonderfully made. And we don't have to pretend that we are anything other than who we are. Back in the 80s, boys like me pretty much boys back then, used to congregate in schoolyards and bus stops and talk about video games. But for some of us, recess was a crucible. As a quiet, bookish kid and the only one in my class with glasses, I took the brunt of the abuse and the bullying, so I probably should have kept my mouth shut when the latest stupid fad swept through. You see, one day all of the other kids in the class got it into their heads that the little tag on our dress shirts, we wore school uniforms if we had dress shirts, they decided that little tag was called, well, let's just say it was a homophobic slur that rhymes with tag, tag. And if you didn't take it off, that meant you were gay. Now, like I said, I was a quiet kid that tried to keep his head down, but when someone explained this to me in the third grade, I replied, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it 
Moreover, I refused to remove the tag because I was not about to participate in this kind of bigoted stupidity. Well, that made me an easy mark. Before I knew it, I found myself surrounded by a circle of my classmates in the schoolyard, jeering and pushing me into one another and calling me all kinds of homophobic slurs. Ironically, the girl I had a crush on at the time was among the crowd. Look, I'm not telling you this so you can feel sorry for me, you know. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> I'm proud of who I am. No, I'm telling you this to make a point, which is that people can be awful to each other. And I'm so proud to be a part of a place where they aren't, to be part of a church that recognizes the inherent dignity of every human being, even if we don't always agree with each other, to be part of a community that, when in doubt, always errs on the side of love, because that's what Jesus told us to do every time. There are plenty of folks out there who disagree with our open and affirming theology, plenty of people that would call me a heretic, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a false prophet for my woke theology. And to those people, I can only say this. I know what I'm talking about. I've got an uncle that works for Jesus. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>